As the littlest ones are dismissed, you can take your Bibles and open up to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, we'll read the first eight verses, which I was a little in between preaching the whole chapter, uh, the first six seals, or just going through the first uh, four, and we're just going to do the first four, so... Um, I think it'll be best for all of us. So we'll read those together. Revelation 6, starting in verse 1. Then I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a voice of thunder, come. Then I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sits on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out overcoming and to overcome. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth. And that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the, living, the third living creature saying, Come. And then I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sits on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, one chronics of wheat for one denarius, and three chronics of barley for one denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. Then I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sits on it had the name Death and Hades, and was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Father, as we come now to the study of your word, Lord, we know that we on our own are incapable of understanding your truth. And so we ask for the illumination of your spirit, that he would work in our hearts, as it were, give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, soft hearts that desire to hear these things and that they would have the eternal impact that you intend for them to have on us. Just pray that you would be honored as we look to the preaching of your word now. In your son's name, amen. Well, happy new year. And I'm sure as many of you are here this morning, you probably, although, you know, been paying attention. We've been in Revelation. I, I didn't look down the calendar and plan. And I don't think any of you expected on January 1st of 2023 that you'd be coming this morning and you'd be hearing a sermon that is about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I just don't think most people would plan it that way. You'd expect it's New Year's, and so you might come to church, and you probably would hear, maybe at best, at least something spiritual about getting maybe spiritual boot camp Sunday morning and getting back and reading your Bible and beginning this year with a new plan, which you should do, and that's good. And I know Todd Tyler's passionate, and he'll yell at you next week about getting in your yearly Bible reading plan. So you should, you should do that. In its worst case scenario, you, you might have the experience I've had before where I walked into a church and they were going through this about a decade ago, the Daniel plan. 
you remember the Daniel plan, it's, it's a diet. And just spoiler alert for those showing up to learn how to study the Bible in, in one of my classes. Um, this is an example I used at times because what they looked at in Daniel was the fact that early in Daniel that they did not want to eat the meat offered to idols. And they said, let us eat just the vegetables. And so people studied their Bible and came away and said, that's it. Get rid of the meat. Eat your vegetables. It even matches with what a lot of, you know, popular media wants you to do. But the only thing missing in that equation, I remember thinking at the time, beyond they had a a large blue whale on the screen and kind of how they were tracking how much weight the church had lost together combined on this plan. So I don't know if that's self-reporting, because if it's self-reporting, I can get into that. But with that, you miss in Daniel the point, which is, you know what's miraculous? The miraculous is they looked as if they were eating the protein and the fat. They looked healthy, i.e. you wouldn't normally. It'd be, the natural thing is if you just ate, don't be offended, the rabbit food, you, you wouldn't look as strong and you wouldn't look as healthy. And so you miss the kind of the whole point when you go down that road and study your Bible that way. But I do believe this morning, although if you're visiting, you might find it a little odd, that it's, it's an important pattern. It's not to say there's no reasons to jump out of consecutive exposition of the scriptures, but it is to say that I trust the Lord in his sovereignty, in his providence, not only with the end of days, which we're going to look at this morning, but also with today. And this is where we are. And I know many of you have seen that over the years and that you see it, of course, the name of the church, providence, divine providence, simply referring to the reality that God governs his world in our lives. And he governs them most often through what theologians call secondary means. And that is to say, he's not breaking natural law day in and day out. He's not performing miracles or sending lightning bolts or giving visions or dreams or speaking audibly. Rather, he is in control. He is working, but it's through other means, secondary means, through a friend or through just circumstances or even through difficulty and suffering. He's no less in control when he does those things. And it's not good for us to view things as random. And so I don't want to view the preaching of the word this morning as random. And I trust that the Lord has something for us. And I've seen it over and over again. You get up and you preach something that just was on the calendar. It was the next verse. And I didn't realize in Sunday school or in FOF or in your own D groups that that very thing was taught. And you see how God weaved it together in, in a unique way. That's simply God's providence at work. All I know is that his word, when it goes forth, does not return void. And it will not return without accomplishing its purpose. And so our study of future judgment here absolutely has God's divine providence all over it. It should really cause us to stop for a moment and and ask, well, what would the Lord have me learn? It should be a little jarring. What would he have that I am here sitting here this morning to hear this message from this passage, January 1st, 2023? We're going to look at here these seals the breaking of the seals. We've been here. We, we marched right through the Christmas season. We saw the worthy lamb, the lion in his power and his strength, but the one who appears as a lamb, although slain. Transported to heaven in chapter four, 
And continuing into chapter 5, the church there singing praise. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And the four living creatures who will be the ones who, I can't do a good enough voice, but imagine someone with a great, deep, thunderous, baritone voice just saying, come. They're going to say those things. They're saying in that voice, amen, at the end of chapter 5. And the elders, understanding the myriads and myriads, which we understood as the church, the raptured church, falls down and is worshiping the Lord. And we're going to look at these seals as kind of broadly speaking, characteristics of them. I think maybe that'll be a helpful way to look at them. And then specifically, we'll march through the first four seals. And the first characteristic of talking of the seven seals is that it needs to be noted they are commanded. They are broken. They are under God's sovereign rule. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, if you guessed, well, these don't sound like sweet angelic beings. You are correct. Our best understanding is the idea that these represent these forces that go out into the world. These are not good things. These are not coming from the Lord in the sense of he is in its absolute call. I mean, he's doing this, but he is allowing these creatures to go out and to serve out judgment. He uses these means, and it, 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 it makes an important distinction of God's sovereign rule over even the things that are evil in this world. A couple examples of that as I was thinking through this reading. You think of Luke chapter 4, and Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It is the Spirit who leads Jesus to the wilderness, but it is the devil who tempts. Think of the whole book of Job and how it begins, and that it's actually the Lord who brings up his servant Job to the devil. But yet it is the devil who torments Job, who afflicts Job. I think it's important to keep those in mind as you look at all the destruction that is going to be met out. God is sovereign over it, but he is not causing people to be tempted. In fact, they're temp- they're, that's coming from within. It's important because the Lord is marked by, throughout all of Scripture, yes, he is the lion who is coming. Yes, he is the conquering king. But in the church age, for us today, over and over again, you see that he is patient. You see that multiple times the scriptures say that the Lord is patient, that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. Think of your own life. Aren't you glad that the Lord did not destroy, did not break these seals? Although we, as believers, long for the day the Lord returns, you go, well, I am thankful he did not do this, that this did not begin to happen did not destroy the world five minutes before we came to Christ. No, rather, as Peter says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. And we might feel like all the time has passed, but Peter says, no, he's not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness. But he is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But he is over that now, and he was over that 
And it is being orchestrated in the way it comes together. The seals are commanded. Secondly, as you think of the book of Revelation, we've talked about, if you looked at the beginning of Revelation, that John is to record what he sees. He's to record the things that are. And he's to record the things that will be. So chapter 4, verse 1, I will show you what must take place after these things. And so we understand in Revelation 4, moving forward, we are looking at future events. These seals, these four that we'll look at this morning and the seven over the next week total, or I should say really six because we're going to see how that breaks down because of the seven seals, you're going to have the seven trumpets contained within them. But they are not past tense. The, the verb tense moves to these things are things to come. These things are future think about the whole of scripture there's phrases latter days end times and you can go all the way back this came up in discipleship group this week for us for me Thursday morning Deuteronomy chapter 4 this idea that early like early before they're in the promised land early God says Israel is not going to listen you start having to square with God's sovereign you'd realize going oh yes they're making choices they're responsible for, but also, yes, this is what the Lord has planned. In fact, you see Deuteronomy 4 verse 30 says, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, that is the future of Israel and that they're not going to listen and that they're ultimately going to be cast out of the land. They're going to be aliens and sojourners. He says, in the last days. So as early as Deuteronomy chapter 4, first five books of Moses The last days, he says, you will return to Yahweh, your God, and listen to his voice. For Yahweh, your God, is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. And of course, you have the the major prophets that we've seen. Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, looking towards these coming future events. A time that Luke says will happen when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Same with looking at Romans 11. That's helpful for us to say what age we're in in the church age and that these things are future. It doesn't mean they they don't have any, any impact on us, that we can't learn from them. But it is to say you don't want to look at these and get confused and go, where have these things happened? Because it is the latter days. It is forward. It is still yet to come. The first of the four seals out of the seven are going to take up the first half of this period. We understand. I got to bring a chart. I got to because it's, it's going to be helpful at some point here. Uh, but understanding the period that Daniel looks forward to, the idea of weeks, and that one week in the Jewish mind is seven years. And you have the 70 weeks, but we're still having not yet that final 70th week, that final seven years. And the first four seals we're going to see this morning take up that first half, that first three and a half years. And whether you go, how do you get that? Well, not only does it talk about the math, right? What's half of seven, three and a half, and half is mentioned, but also you're going to even see it down to the days here 
in Revelation, and you're going to see the days met out of it happening. The fifth seal, which we'll see next week, is going to bridge the events in the middle and stretch into the sixth seal and then the seventh seal. And this is kind of important for Revelation that you understand, it's helpful for me, that you're going to have the sixth seal and then you're going to have, if you kind of look over, this interlude before the seventh seal and then into that is going to contain the seven trumpets, which of course then eventually the seven bowls. And I know at times you're going to get a little like, whoa, this is a lot. But just like as we continue to study the word, I think these things will become more clear and more evident. These are things that are coming and being doled out into the future. It's identified as a seven-year period in Daniel chapter 9. And you're going to see it identified in Revelation as the same. And it's just so we can see in Ezekiel and Daniel and Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, you can see all of these connections that go together. And to see these aren't just numbers pulled out of nowhere, but they're from the scriptures. These are future events that are yet to come. Thirdly, as we look closer to our text this morning, these things are meant to happen. At least these first four, there is a a a chronological element to them. These four horsemen of the apocalypse representing four aspects of God's judgment that will pour out on the earth at the beginning of this tribulation period. The first one, look at verse 1. So then I looked when the Lamb... So there is one, and the issue here was the Lamb is not just the one who has the strength to break that seal, that rolled up deed. We talked about the the deed, the document to the entire title of the universe. It's not an issue of strength. It is an issue of who is worthy, who is worthy. And so much so that as they search heaven, you remember John broke down in tears because no one was found to and fro who is worthy until he saw the Lamb who has appeared to be slain. And he is worthy. And so the lamb is worthy, verse 6, to do this. And he opens up one of the seven seals. And so you imagine a scroll that's sealed and rolled and sealed and rolled and sealed. And so he breaks the first one apart and opens. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. You're going to see this refrain multiple times. Come, come, come. What comes? Verse 2. Then I looked, and behold, a white horse. You're going to see a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and pale. The white horse comes, and this represents one aspect of God's judgment. And it's he who sits on it, who had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out overcoming and to overcome. So anytime you look at and study, you start thinking, I've heard this before, especially in Revelation. That should trigger a few things. In this case, though, it's tempting to start to look and say, well, I know a figure who rides on a white horse. And that's Jesus. But that is not this white horse. This goes along with the other three, which are these judgment figures or kind of forces. Some will actually associate this with a Christ-like figure. And I do believe that there will be a Christ-like figure that will come who's known as 2 Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness, uh, the Antichrist. He's going to come out of this most likely. But it is to say 
either this is that individual or more likely that I think it's with the other ones, this whole force of one and this force that brings peace. Why do I say peace? Well, one, you have a white horse and two, the one who sits on it, you notice has a different weapon than all the others. And it's noted that he has a bow, but he has no arrows. He comes with a bow. That is, he comes with peace because the second one is going to take away that peace. And we can correspond that with the rest of Scripture, that the crown is going to be given to him. Will rise to power, peace will come. And there's this idea um, that all the world will come together and he will go out. That is this white horse, if you understand it as, as a force or even as an individual, overcoming and to overcome. So the picture here is the seal is broken. Worthy is the lamb to take back. And this is the first process of taking back what the usurper took. And judgment is being met out first, interestingly enough, in being brought peace. I imagine all the way back to the, the early parts of Scripture in the Tower of Babel that one of the worst things that can be given to us as human beings is being left alone, being given blessing, being given peace. They will look and they will say, as was a temptation for Laodicea, that they don't need God and so the white horse gives them a peace. Yes, one that will not last long. But out of that will rise up this unity that the world has never seen before. And yes, probably associated, I think, with the church being pulled out. It makes sense when you put those two things together. If you look at it, just well, won't look there this morning, but just study Daniel chapter 11. I know many of you did that in Sunday school. The one who goes out to conquer. The same language is set there, but it does not last. Verse 3, he breaks the second seal, which is described as a red horse. Verse 3, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another, a red horse. Went out, And to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So he says, come and obedient, this horse, this one listens and comes out. Red in the sense of red bringing blood, red bringing war. You notice he does not have a bow without arrows. In fact, he's going and he is commanded to take peace from the earth. And men are noted that they will slay one another and a great sword was given to him. Violence seems to be what is coming at this stage. They're no longer going to have peace, but tribulation. If you flipped back and you look at Matthew 24 and you start to understand and you see that language. In fact, let's do that real quick. You go to Matthew 24, which for those of you who've been here for a while and we just finished Matthew and you see at the beginning before the middle there's a danger that as the judgment is meant out to, to not be 
deceived. And we understood that all the discourse for tribulation believers specifically, that they would look to this and not be deceived. Many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ, verse 5, and I will see them. And you, he says, are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not alarmed. For those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For the nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines, earthquakes. But all these things are merely beginning of birth pains. We go back to Revelation. We're going to see some of these things play out. But this whole metaphor, this whole picture of the earth being one as a woman having birth pains. Contractions that are kind of further apart. And as gets closer to delivering, come closer, become stronger, become longer. That's this idea here of first the seal is broken. There is a false peace and it starts to get worse and it will get perpetually worse and stronger and they start coming in more force as the time and as the seals are broken going forward. This red horse, the one who rides it, is given a great sword. This isn't to defend, but this is to kill. If we looked at Daniel and to look at how Daniel addresses this, it's not clear whether the one who's going to rise out of this Antichrist is using this to start war, or perhaps he is the one moderating some level of peace that will bring him even more power. We just know that during this time of peace, all this is going to be going on as well as the beginning of the birth pains begin. And then thirdly, the third seal is described as a black horse. Verse 5, And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And then I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sits on it has had on it had a pair of scales in his hands. This pair of scales is, is not as if he was scaly, um, like scaly skin, but a scale in that you would weigh things. So imagine, you know, think of a scale with two balances. That's what he holds. And understanding the black being a picture of famine. Reader Lamentations chapter 5 verse 8 and 10 you'll see black identified as the color of famine. It's made more clear in verse 6 by what the one in the midst of the four living creatures would seem God's voice. See it's something like a voice but who is in the midst of the four living creatures? The throne? The Lord? Saying one chronics of wheat for one denarius. Three chronics of barley for one denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Well, these are all things that uh, we, we have some level of. We have money today, we have barley today, we have wheat today, we have oil, we have wine today, but they don't quite carry the same value that it would have carried for them. Obviously, this being a denarius, being a day's wage. And what the voice is crying out, what the Lord is saying is, get ready. The black horse is bringing about famine. And look at world history. What comes with wars? What comes with destruction? Typically disruption. We've seen that in our own world. It doesn't take much. Put a little grain of sand in that machine that runs all of bringing us all the things we need. Food and clothing. And it doesn't take much to gum it up. But what will then cause shortages. 
And here, he's saying, look at the, the scales are being brought, and there is a pair, or there is an issue of famine. So much so that one, chronics, or you could look at it as a measure. Some of your Bibles will translate. Some will talk about it as a quart. All it is saying is that there is a measure of wheat for a daily's wage. And that measure or that quart being what it would take to feed a person. And so you're going to work for a day and you're going to have enough food to feed yourself and keep yourself alive, but nothing for your family, nothing for others. And maybe you can get, instead go buy cheaper food because barley would be a cheaper than wheat. And you can get three of them for denarius. But again, it's not, as I say, it's, it's scarce. It's famine conditions. And do not harm the oil and the wine. It's simply say, take care. When they're gone, they're gone. This is the toilet paper shortage, right? Don't be careful when you use that. You used to roll it down, use six, and then all of a sudden you can't find it. You use one piece, etc. Take care. It's rare. It's precious. That's the idea here. Something that in times of surplus and of blessing and of overflowing, they have much of it. And here they have very little of it. And so God says, be careful. The luxuries will not be there. And so you see of the white horse who brings peace, the red horse who brings war and takes away the peace, the third horse, the black horse bringing peace, Famine, which of course is all exactly meshing with what has been said in all the other passages we've seen and in the Olivet Discourse, that here in the fourth horse, you see a pale horse. Verse 7, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come! Then I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And he who sits on it had the name Death and Hades and was following with him. Authority was given to him, to them, over a fourth of the earth. So to the four horsemen, to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So in those first three and a half years, there's a semblance of peace. But what falls on its heel is chaos and war. And in fact, described here by this pale horse on this idea of coloring, it could be a greenish horse, which would be a very ugly horse. I think you would agree with me. But it has the picture of what is pale and what is sickly, what is dying. That horse and the one who sits on it is bringing death, death and Hades. Back in chapter one, you saw Jesus as the one as, who has the keys of death and Hades. This phrase is simply talking again of the death being that it is the state and Hades being the realm of the dead. He's bringing it. And he's going to follow up and you're going to see one quarter, it says, of the earth destroyed. Killed by the sword, killed by famine, killed by pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. That's what follows famine. You look at these first four seals. And we start to think of the world we live in. There are moments and there are times where you can see throughout history where, and I'm just reading commentaries, reading historians, where you can see and go, how could this happen? How could you have mass murders, death? And then you realize far more deadly than atomic weapons, although they could 
easily do some damage. Just the normal things. We're actually pretty delicate beings. The wild beasts of the earth. And you think of plagues like the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague that carry disease. It wouldn't take much for this to happen. And you might think, well, how could it? Or, and then you start to see, oh, there's absolute ways. Even killed with a sword. How can you have that much death that quickly? And you see the ability of man to build weapons the way we have now. And you go, actually, that absolutely could happen. How could you have one man line up the world behind him? How would he have the ability, the technology, the media? And now you have a world where you go, absolutely makes sense. In fact, we live in a culture that loves the idea of putting one up on the pedestal, the celebrity. And you go, absolutely, I can, I don't know how it'll happen, but you kind of see it absolutely could happen in a way that maybe others did not see. But these are to happen chronologically. And just to say what it's communicating is a consistency with the rest of Scripture. That what is coming, you don't want any part of. We understand the church being raptured, but there will be those who are there. And I believe those who get saved, see the 144,000, even the martyrs, those who suffer and who die during this period, who then are crying out, as we'll see in the next couple weeks. But this is for us, for the church age, to be a massive warning sign. You don't want this. You don't want the judgment. Or as if you jump down to verse 16, you don't want the wrath of the Lamb. It says, for the great day, think of the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is the Lord's kindness, that he gives you a picture, a window to look into the future and to see what is going to come. And to look and say, I don't want the, the Lamb's wrath. I would rather have the, the Lamb's salvation. That is part of this. I said part of it is that it is to say and to be reminded that the Lord is in absolute control over all of history. And the seals are not only going to happen exactly when they're meant to happen, as they come in order, as the Lamb breaks the seals, one, two, three, four, but they're also corroborating all that has come before. And the last kind of characteristic, as you see, and this could be go for all of Revelation, but it is to say that they are consistent. They are consistent. You're going to look at other passages. So I don't have the time this morning to do, but if you did go to Daniel 7 and Daniel 11, or particularly Daniel 11 in the context of these four, Matthew 24, the Olive Discourse, Luke 21, Mark 13, Jesus' discussion of the last days. Or if you were to go to Zechariah and to see the four chariots, you start to see oh, there is, this is consistent what they wrote is true and what John writes of as he sees this vision is true and will come to pass. And the fact that these seals and there's a consistency as you study the word over the way the world will end and that judgment is coming, even as far back as Deuteronomy chapter 4, that in the latter days certain things are going to happen. And when you see those phrases, that we note them and mark them. I find an encouragement for us to study the word, to ask good questions. 
that we could accurately divide the word and understand the purpose behind what the Lord is commanding. The seals are commanded by the one who is worthy. We understand they're coming in a future time that is going to go boom, boom, boom. And that they are consistent with what all of the rest of Scripture has said. The Lord is in control. He's in control of today. He's in control of tomorrow. And the future world, that chessboard is set. Truth is, not to belittle Nebraska, I'm from Nebraska, I love Nebraska, but as I've said before, we're, we're even a little pond in a, in a big sea of the U.S. We're, we're the flyover country. We get to participate in God's plan, being part of it as his church, which is unbelievable. But there are going to be things going on that are far greater than, than us. That part of it's set. We're not going to be able to go in and control all of those things. But what we do get to be part of is God's work here. Knowing what is coming. To be motivated towards worship. To be motivated towards evangelism. To be motivated that if the Lord is patient and the Lord is kind, that how much more should we be patient? That we should be kind. That the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I understand that you look at another year and I don't know if anyone's going to totally say, I mean, there's a certain sense in which I am so thankful for church and I'm so thankful for my family. And this is way better than last year. But obviously you look around the whole world and I can see that it creeps in the heart of anyone, right? That wants to kind of say, Lord, come, burn it down. Make all things right. You have those psalms, those imprecatory psalms. You guys know that term. You, know, you go to the book of Psalms and you read Psalms and it's talking about the Lord. Lord, judge the wicked. They're called imprecatory psalms. He's praying for the Lord to bring and deal out judgment. But that's not for the church. We don't wield the sword. We don't wield the judgment. The lamb, the lamb wields the judgment. So our role is going to be to wield what? The gospel message. To be patient, to be kind, and to share that message with others in light of what is coming. Not wishing anyone, just as the Lord has the desire, to perish. And to take inventory as well. To say, where are each one of us? Where are we at this morning? Where are we at this year? You take inventory, January 1st, 2023. Think of what we're about to do as a church together to partake of the Lord's table. That whole concept of partaking together is one of fellowship, which is one of relationship, which is one to say that you are able to come to the table and to partake in a worthy way. We don't even ask that question as often as we should probably, which is should we partake in the Lord's table? There's precedent in 1 Corinthians 11, as we've seen before, that don't do it if it's done in an unworthy way. But it's a good reminder for us as you come into what plans you have for this year that the Lord is over them, that he is moving, that he is absolutely ministering. You have opportunities for ministry, opportunities for 
the gospel to go forth. And so take these realities, take these judgments, take the reminder of where the world is headed and use it as a reminder of the time that you have to reflect Christ and to do his work while there is time. To recognize that today is, as the Lord says, the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We thank you for your word and how it frames the future. Yes, judgment is coming, the wrath of the Lamb. What a reminder for us. But it brings many things to our own hearts and minds as we look towards even now a new year. Give us the reminders that we need, that you have placed in our hearts eternity. And to not look at any of the moments from today forward as anything less than opportunities, that we would see conflict, that we would see uh, opportunities to minister to one another, all those things as opportunities for you to shape us and to the men and the women that you desire. Help us now as we are reminded of the reason we gather. We are reminded of what Christ has done, the Lamb who was slain for our sins slain for us that we might have life in him. To be reminded that it is his body, yes. It is his blood, yes. But that he is himself the living waters, the eternal bread, We just ask this as we look to you in your son's name. Amen.